Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, we're going to be talking about the cross and discipleship. The cross and discipleship. Paul writes this. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Listen to this one more time. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He said, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open up our minds and our understanding, that you would reveal to us what it means to be crucified to the world and the world crucified to us. I pray that you would teach us what it means to truly be disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that as a result of our time in your word, I pray that you would bring your word alive to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Question for you. In your own words, in your own words, how would you describe what it means, what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship or when we talk about being a disciple? That's one of the four major things that as a church that we say, that's what we're going to do. We're going to exalt the Lord through worship. We're going to equip the believer through discipleship. We're going to encourage one another through biblical fellowship. We're going to evangelize the lost through outreach. So when we talk about discipleship or being a disciple, what does that mean? Being a follower of Jesus? Now there's going to be a lot of things. I want to say this to you. There's going to be a lot of things that being a disciple entails. Being a disciple will entail, as Pat said, going. That's really evangelism. Being a disciple is going to include a lot of other things. Any other ideas when it talks about being a disciple? Uh, Wayne said is about there's a, a discipline. Talked about being a follower. What are some other things that we think of when we talk about discipleship or being a disciple? Disciple, you guys hit it. Discipleship, the purpose of discipleship is there's a lot of things that it entails, but the purpose of it is so that we become like our master, that we emulate and are transformed. Being a disciple is really learning from a master. I wonder today if many people have made that a priority in their life. Have you made it a priority in your life to become like your master? See, because here's one of the things we'll do. Rick said, you got to study the word. And Rick's absolutely right. You need to know the word and you need to be in the word. Why? Because the word reveals to us Jesus Christ. My perspective may be sometimes it's not just do we have the victory, not are we just prosperous, but is our character changing so that we resemble Jesus Christ more and more? Have you set as your goal, okay, I'm a Christian, so I don't want to, and you fill in the blank of the bad things that you used to do, and you say, I just don't want to do that anymore. Oh, I don't want to curse anymore. I don't want to be having a bad attitude anymore. And so many people, fo- they put their focus on, okay, I don't, I don't want to have a lustful thought anymore. I don't want to, I know I'm bitter. I don't want to have this bitterness in my heart anymore. And all of those things are good, but don't lose sight of the real calling. And that is to become like your master, to become like Jesus. 
Last week we shared with you that taking up this idea of taking up your cross, the revealed will of the Lord in your life. Well, a lot of times we have this idea of taking up your cross and, you know, we think of some guy picking up a cross, a wooden cross, and carrying it out and, and we get a little teary-eyed because we think of Jesus carrying the cross. And you know what? It doesn't relate at all in our lives. We're seeing a guy carrying a cross and we see Jesus carrying a cross. We don't know how to apply that truth to our day-to-day life. We say, Jesus, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And and we're moved by that. You know, we'll get the tears running down our face and, and we'll be touched by that. But when it comes to a practical, well, how do I do that? Does that mean someone's going to nail me to a cross? Probably not. He already did that once for all. Does that mean I have to carry a wooden beam all around all the time? Well, you know, there's some people who maybe are called to that. Usually they're kind of a unique person. The majority of us will probably not be called upon to every day walk to work and carry a cross on your back. When you come into work, you're carrying a 10 foot long cross and you sit it there and then you work and put the cross back on your back. That's not what it means by taking up your cross. We shared it last week that it means that you are willing to do the revealed will of God in your life. Whatever God asks you to do, you do it willingly and wholeheartedly. That you submit your will to his will. Taking up your cross teaches us how to die to the world's hold upon us. And it opens up for us an understanding of what it means to walk the path of Jesus or to walk the path of his disciples. We've read this before, but it bears good reason to read it once again. Luke fourteen twenty seven says that anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not do the revealed will of God and follow Jesus in his commands and in his path, cannot truly be a disciple. It doesn't say that he's not going to be a good disciple. It says he cannot even be a disciple if he does not carry his cross and follow Jesus. Without the cross, there's no discipleship. Without a cross, there's no discipleship. A disciple maintains, just maybe you want to jot this one down. A disciple maintains an eternal perspective. How much do you think the average Christian thinks about eternity? When do we think about eternity? Somebody dies. When a disaster strikes, maybe someone who we know gets a horrible disease, or or we think of the tsunami in Japan. And then for at least for a day or so, we think about eternity. How about the rest of the time? You think as the older you get, think about eternity more? Why is it hard for a lot of people to think about eternity? Maybe for some it's easier than others. Why do you think it's hard for a lot of people to think about eternity when you're young? There's a, you know, you're thinking of all the things that are ahead in life and the things that you want to do and the things that you want to accomplish and the dreams and the goals that you have. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about this idea of eternal perspective. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's the principle of where you invest the most of yourself, of the things that are of value to your treasure. Your heart follows your treasure. I want you to notice that. Your heart follows your treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's why for some people, this world is so valuable to them because that's where they're investing all of their treasures. How many of you care about how GE or Sunoco stock does? I see one. You know why? Can I tell you typically why? Because he's got something invested there. If I don't have anything invested in GE, if I don't have anything invested in Sun Oil Company, I'm, you know, what went down? All oh, that, hey, that's too bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you've worked all of your life and taken all your savings and invested it into Sun Oil Company or to General Electric and their stock bottoms out, you're crushed. You're just, oh my, I can't believe this. Jesus teaches this principle that he says, store up for yourselves. Let your perspective be on heavenly things. From the time I was a young person, whenever I felt God called me into the ministry, one of the things that I determined I wanted to do with my life is I wanted to invest my life in eternal things. I wanted to invest my life. I made a conscious decision. I wanted to invest my life in something that's going to, that's going to matter for eternity. That whenever I'm done, that I don't have to stop and look back and say, I have a regret. And I'm not setting myself up as anything. I don't mean it to say that way. But even with that purpose in mind of saying, God, I want to invest my life I want to spend my life doing something for your kingdom. Even in the midst of doing that, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of eternal things and to get our eyes focused upon the temporal things that are around about us that we can see. Sometimes it's easy to get your eyes off of heaven and off of souls and off of, not that we're not trying to do the will of God, but it's easy to get your eyes off of that and looking at the temporal moment and saying, well, how are things going today, right here, right now? And not keep our focus upon those eternal things. Paul said that if our hope in Christ, 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen, it says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. What Paul is saying, if our hope in Christ is for this life alone, then Christians are the most pitiful of all people. If all we get is in this life, the question is, is it really worth it? But God assures us that this world is not what all of life is about. That God assures us of that. Henry Blackaby writes, He's one of the guys I've been using in study. He writes, the way of the cross means a lifetime of perseverance and endurance. But I want to emphasize that if knowing this only makes you grim and joyless, you're missing a very important part of the truth of the cross. 
the scripture tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. That's in Hebrews 12 too. The joy he looked forward to, the hope that he knew, the confident expectation he experienced, this is available for every believer. And it allows us to endure whatever the cross will mean for us in self-denial and suffering by the will of God. Yes, there is a cross for us, but that doesn't cancel the joy. There's always a resurrection beyond a cross, and that's what makes it worth it. All after you've been faithful to bear the cross and to endure it. Um, Let me say this to you. When we talk about enduring, bearing the cross, doing the will of God, last week we did two messages on the idea of surrender, and that kind of goes against our nature. We talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane how Jesus, he prayed three times. An angel from heaven came and ministered to him. He asked his friends to pray. This leading up to the cross, was there was such agony that he sweat drops of blood. He was in such anguish that the scripture says he sweat as it were great drops of blood. If you focus exclusively on the cross that you are bearing and don't see beyond it, you will not be able to continue enduring the cross. If that's all you see is what you're doing, uh, what you're experiencing, what you're sacrificing, that part of your will that you're giving up, because the cross is not the end. It's only partway through. And the cross, if you look at scripture, the cross must come before the resurrection. And after the resurrection, what comes? The day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the spirit and the power and the glory of God. Many people want out when the pain of the cross seems unbearable. This is particularly true when it comes to dealing with family issues. Because you know what? There's some times that God asks you to take up your cross and follow him. And what it relates to is an issue in your family. It relates to an issue in your marriage. It relates to an issue in dealing with your kids. If people are honest, some of the most difficult crosses they are called to bear are in their family relationships. Let me just let that sink in. Wait a minute, pastor. That's the devil doing that to me. Now listen to me. Some of the most difficult crosses that as a parent you will bear will be in relationship to some of your kids. In relationship to your grandchildren. Some of the most difficult crosses you'll be asked to bear and to do the will. What's the cross? It's doing the will, the revealed will of God. That's picking up your cross. Some of the most difficult places are going to be in your marriage. That you got to shut up. That you don't get to lash out that you want to take vengeance but you're not allowed to that you don't want to forgive and God says you have to that you say it's not fair the way I'm treated it's not fair what's happening and God tells you simply to be still 
Sometimes there's nothing more painful than dealing with a rebellious teenager. Sometimes there's nothing harder than trying to work through the difficulties in the relationship with the people who you love the most. And isn't it kind of funny, truthfully, how we feel that we could be so much more spiritual if it wasn't for the people closest to us? There's joy beyond the cross when, that we bear in family relationships. The challenge is that oftentimes we become weary. And I'm going to say this to you. In those types of difficult things, if you allow God, God's going to show you all kinds of stuff about you. Now, I know that when we go into those situations, we see everything that's wrong with the other party. We see, it, you know, and it may be, maybe it is an extended family. Maybe it's a difficulty in relationship with your parents. Or maybe it's a difficulty in relationships with a brother or sister, you know, or in-laws or something like that. And, and we, see, we see very clearly everything where they're wrong. And yet, if we allow the Lord... Even whenever that teenager is being rebellious and not doing what they're supposed to, God starts showing you things about your heart that's wrong. And you're like, God, we're supposed to deal with him. And God said, but I want to deal with you. But Lord, you know what he's doing. And in the midst of it, God starts tearing away at things in our lives that we didn't even know were there. He deals with attitudes and, and intents of our heart and, and places in our lives that we were totally blind to. Those things would never come out if God didn't lead you down that path to the cross. Oftentimes, as I said, we become weary in well-doing. But there's a promise that you will reap a harvest if you faint not. It'll be worth it when the victory comes and you've been faithful. When you can honestly say before God, because there's a lot of times we say, no, Lord, you know I've been faithful. And you know, Lord, when the Holy Spirit starts speaking to us, he starts showing us some things. You know, you can be right and be wrong. You can be right and be wrong. You can justify yourself and, and yet still be wrong in places of the heart. The reality of the cross applies not only to raising children, not only to marriage, but the reality of the cross also applies to the local church family. Church families go through times of pain and difficulty. And we're called to bear the cross together. Church families are meant to stay together and enduring the cross. Rather than have some people simply run away for easier times, there is a mature, listen to this very closely, there is a maturing and a depth and a victory that comes to church families that endure difficult and trying times. There's something that comes to people. There's a maturing process that takes place when people endure the cross, that this is what God, as a church, this is what God has given us to walk through at this time. And when people willingly and graciously walk down that path that God has set before them, there's a maturing that comes. Keep this in mind. Before the cross... There's a garden of Gethsemane. Before the cross, there's a garden of Gethsemane. There's some places where you're going to agonize in prayer. 
Maybe you're agonizing in prayer over something in your marriage, or maybe you're going to agonize in prayer over something with your kids, or maybe you're going to agonize in prayer over some hurt that someone offended you, or someone took advantage of you, and and there's that, you know, that you could strike back, or I'll just blow out of this place. I'm not going to put up with that. I'm not going to let anybody treat me that way. Have you ever said that? I've said it before. You won't talk to me that way. I don't know who you think you are, but let me explain to you, you won't talk to me that way. And you wonder sometimes, there's a place to establish boundaries. And there's another time where God tells us to simply be quiet and let him fight our battles. There's a place where God says, where there's times in which you and I just have to go through difficulties. But after the cross comes the resurrection. The cross also precedes Pentecost, as I said earlier, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Some of the blessings that God has in store for you will not come if you bypass the cross. If you say no to the difficulty that you're experiencing, Jesus said yes to the will of the Father. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And it's on this journey, on this path, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that there are things that have to come first. God has an order. We all would like to skip the cross. We all would like to skip the Garden of Gethsemane and would love to just get right to the place where the Holy Spirit's being outpoured on the day of Pentecost. We'd all like to get to Sunday morning at the day of the resurrection whenever Christ's power is revealed. When you face a difficulties... We need to look beyond the present situation to what God is preparing for us and to what God is preparing us for. Listen to that one more time. When you face the difficulties, we need to look beyond the present situation to what God is preparing us for and what God is preparing for us ever have people say this just reminds me there's some guys on tv and they'll be like if you want to do what you've never done you got to do what you've never done and you sit and listen to them and you know they just say it slow and they say it twice and you're like wow and i'm standing back thinking boy that was kind of goofy there are two things that disciples of jesus will always immerse themselves in prayer and the word The word of God opens our minds and our hearts to the will of God, to his ways and his character. It's vital that we spend quality and quantity time in the word of the Lord. You can't experience the fullness of God apart from his word. You need his word. You know, you have people chasing experiences. I'm going to tell you, you get in his word, he'll give you an experience. Our experiences need to be based upon that intimacy with him with, and, the, and the knowledge of his words. The disciples of Jesus will also spend time in prayer and communion with the Father. Effective communication is required in all healthy relationships. When you're spending time in prayer, what are you doing? You're communing with the Lord. You're calling out to him and you're allowing him to call out to you. If we don't have time for either one of those... It speaks to our priorities. Oh, I'm busy. I know you're busy. But it speaks to what you have established as priorities in your life. 
you and I are the one who establishes the priorities for our lives. You may say, no, I've someone else. Well, you need to take control, and I need to take control over my life and establish what are the priorities, what are the things that are vital, that are important to me. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your hearts. Now, some people say this, I prayed, but God didn't answer. Have you ever said that? Have you ever felt that way? What we mean when we say that is I prayed, but God didn't do what I told him to do. I'll just be honest with you. As I was preparing and I was thinking of that, that hit me right between the eyes. God doesn't intend to do what you tell him to do. That's not the purpose of prayer. Wait, the purpose of prayer, if I pray enough, and let me say this, prayer is not intended to get God to do our will. But if we're honest, that's a lot of times what we want. I'm just speaking honestly. Prayer is designed so that we can stand in his presence and know what his will is and be able to submit to his will. But a lot of times we've made prayer a time in which we seek God or don't mean to be disrespectful in this, but time in which we go to God and try to convince him to do what we want. Well, if I ask him enough, if I bug him enough, if I nag him enough, if I say it the right way, then he'll do what I say he should do. As I was preparing for this teaching, I wrote here, through preparation for this teaching, I realized that's me. I pray to get God to change his mind and do what I tell him to do. Isn't that true? Am I the only one? I'm disappointed when he doesn't do what I tell him. Whenever his will doesn't line up with my will. I get disappointed and I get frustrated and I don't understand. Well, maybe I just didn't pray hard enough. Maybe I didn't pray long enough. Maybe you didn't hear me. Why don't you fall in line with my will? That's not the purpose of prayer. It's not to convince him to do what I want. Faith is so vital and important, but it's not for us to convince him or to change his way of thinking. Whose thinking needs to change? Whose mindset needs to change? Ours needs to change. Mine. Let's make it personal. My mind needs to change. My thoughts need to change. They need to align up with his. When God answers no to your prayers, because there's times where he does say no, what you believe about God will be quickly revealed in what you do next. Do you get mad? Do you give up and accuse God of not caring? What did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever he prayed to the Father? We read it. He prayed one time. He prayed, and it was a particular prayer. 
He prayed a second time and a third time the same prayer, but it was changed slightly. The first time was, Lord, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Lord, if I don't have to go through this situation, let it pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The second time when he prays, he doesn't ask God to take the cup from him. He under, Since it's not possible, since this is what's going to happen, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Then he got up and he submitted himself to the will of God and he submitted himself to the cross. I think that shows us something about our relationship with God. That when we pray, when we go to God, that whenever he says no, that we'd be quick to get up and go and do his will. As I tell you that, I was thinking about how there are times in life that God says no to us. And when we know that that's his will, that he says no, not now, we don't understand that, we don't know why. It was so refreshing, though, to go and worship. And I remember thinking about, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Uh, I believe Job said that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I remember praying that. Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And there was such a peace that comes when you do that. Such a comfort that comes. Lord, I, I trust you in this. How comes we can't do that? Or we have a difficulty doing that in some of the issues that aren't near as big as that? That aren't near as significant? How comes it's, so, it's such a challenge for us to be able to say, Lord, you give and you take away. I trust your goodness. I depend on you. In this process of being a disciple, you're going to experience times when God says no to you. And you're going to experience times when you go through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to experience loss. And some of you will have kids who will rebel. And some of you will have a spouse who will be difficult and, and relatives and friends. And you've got to make up your mind in advance what you're going to do. There's life decisions that we don't make. There's decisions that we make once. We don't make them every time. Am I going to, you know, am I going to go drinking? No, I've made a decision about that once. I'm not going to do that. Well, well, a cousin was over. No, that's, <laughs> it doesn't matter who came over or where you go to a restaurant or who's around. I made a decision once. I just don't need that. I'm not going to do that. It's not for me. And there's decisions that we can make about trusting in God that, Lord, I'm going to trust you. So whenever the challenge comes and I'm faced with another temptation or I'm faced with another choice, I've already made that decision. Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. And I can trust you. And so if you lead me down this difficult road, then I will follow you and I'll look beyond what I can see right here because I know that you're leading me somewhere. I know you're leading me to a resurrection. I know you're leading me to a day of Pentecost. 
I know you're leading me to a place where your spirit is going to be poured out and where your power is going to be revealed. And it may take me through a garden of Gethsemane and it may take me through a difficult time with my kids or with your grandkids, but it's leading to something better because that's how God works. That's how he works. That's the way he leads us. So will you let him Will you let him lead you? Will you trust him? If you can trust him for your salvation, for your eternal soul, that you're not going to burn up in hell forever in the lake of fire. If you can trust him for that, can you trust him with that area of finances? Can you trust him to take vengeance on the person who's hurting you or the person who's rejecting you? Can you trust him with your kids and with your grandkids? Can you trust that God, you're gonna take care of me. You're gonna lead me and I'm gonna do your will. I believe that he's worthy of our trust. We just need to make those decisions and not back down from them. I'm gonna follow you, Lord. Wherever you lead, you lead the way. I'm right behind you. Father God, I thank you for our time together. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Lord, as we talked about surrender last week, and we talk about being a disciple this week, becoming like you, Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the bigger picture. We think it's about getting vengeance, and we think it's about getting our way, and we think it's about hurt feelings, and, but you're saying, I'm trying to make you into my image. <laughs> and you don't even see that. I'm trying to reveal myself in you and through you. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray in your name that you would accomplish your purposes and plans for our lives and that we would cooperate with you because, Lord, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. We entrust our lives to you and we believe, Lord, that you will do what is in our best interest that you can be trusted. Be glorified in all that we said and do today in Jesus' name, amen.